Welcome to the About Seth podcast, where we're talking all things Seth Godin. It's time for part five of the breakdown and summary of my favorite parts of Poke the Box by Seth Godin, subtitled, When was the last time you did something for the first time? Following on from parts uh, one, two, three, four, which you can go back and listen to, but you don't have to. This is a little book about starting, about trying new things, about doing things differently, and about taking initiative. Life is a buzzer box, so poke it and find out what happens. If you'd like to grab a, a copy of Poke the Box, head to aboutseth.com slash books, or you can get a free PDF download, which is called the Poke the Box Workbook, which is a short 15-page little summary, uh, but also a lot of questions and actions to take from Poke the Box if you head to aboutseth.com slash free. And that's something that Seth's team has created specifically. So just as a, as a reminder, all the, the book's written in sort of little blog posts almost, little two, two three hundred word sections. So I'll list the, the title and then my favorite parts from that section. How did you end up with this job? Almost any time you ask a question like this, people will say, well, it's a funny story. And (laughs) it's almost never a funny story. It's usually just a story that juxtaposes a few unlikely breaks with unadorned initiative. People get good gigs because they stand up. The person who fails the most usually wins. It's not the person with the biggest failure that wins. Because if you fail once and it's a really big failure, you're a failure because you're busted. You're done. You can't do any more. Also, if you don't fail the most, if you never fail, because that means you're either playing it too safe or you're getting really lucky or you're never really shipping anything. But if you succeed often enough to be given the privilege of failing a next time, then you're on the road to a series of failures. Talk to anyone who's been successful and they'll happily tell you about their long list of failures. The winning part comes from learning from each and every failure and using that to fuel your next success. Juggling is about throwing, not catching. We're conditioned to make the catch. We're conditioned to hurdle whatever obstacle is in our way. We're conditioned to save the day no matter what and not drop the ball. If you spend your time and energy and focus on catching, then it's inevitable that your throws will begin to suffer. You get plenty of positive feedback for the catches you make, but you'll always be behind because the throws you manage to make will be ever less useful. Paradoxically, if you get better at throwing, the catches take care of themselves. The only way to get better at throwing, though, is to throw. Throw poorly and then throw again. Throw well, then throw again. Get good at throwing first. A paradox of success. People with no credibility or resources rarely get the leverage they need to bring their ideas to the world. People with credibility and resources are so busy trying to hold on to them that they fail to be provocative and fail to bring new ideas to the world. The great challenge 
any successful organization faces is finding the guts to risk that success in order to accomplish something great. And risking that success ultimately becomes the only way to accomplish something great. How to walk to Cleveland, or if you're not in the, in the US, how to walk to the other side of the country. Shipping is an event, but starting is not. Shipping is an event because there's life before you ship, then there's the moment you ship, then there's life after you ship. But starting is more like a series of events. Say you decide to walk across the country. You pick your destination, then you take your first step in the right direction. You spend the rest of that day walking towards your destination, one step at a time, picking up your feet and putting them down. At the end of the day, you're miles away from home, and say you stop at a hotel. The next morning, you've got a choice. You either quit the project, or you have to start again. Each morning, granted you're closer than you were the day before, but you still have to start again. For any project, you have to keep starting until you finish. The fear of wrong. It's not surprising that we hesitate. Starting maximizes the chances of ending up wrong. Here's the nightmare. The boss finds someone who did something wrong and then hassles or disciplines, humiliates, or even fires them. If you're never wrong, that's never going to happen. The other scenario is the boss finds someone who didn't start, who never starts, who always studies, who always criticizes, who always plays devil's advocate. And when the boss finds them, they hassle them or discipline them or humiliate them or fire them or, hang on, that doesn't happen. <laughs> the typical factory-centric organization places that premium on not being wrong. They don't spend any time on weeding out people who don't start or people who always criticize and hinder people who start. <laughs> In the networked economy, you know, the innovation-focused organization has no choice but to obsess about those who don't start. Today, not starting is far, far worse than being wrong. If you start, you've got a shot at evolving and adjusting to turn your wrong into a right. But if you don't start, you never get that chance. The market is obsessed with novelty, so go make some. We're tired of your old stuff. To be really clear, I'm not encouraging you to be bold and right. I'm not encouraging you to figure out how to always initiate a smart and proven and profitable idea. I'm merely encouraging you to start often, forever. Be the one who starts things. How to do versus what to do. We turn to experts for instructions on what to do. We think that if we only knew what to do, we'd do it. But there's really no shortage of, of what to do people. Everyone knows what to do. Everyone knows that if you want to lose weight, the what to do is eat less and move more. Everyone knows that if you want to make more money, it's about earning more and spending less. There's no shortage of people that know what to do. There are plenty of really smart, well-trained people in organizations, large and small, who know exactly what to do. The shortage is in people who are willing to do it. To take a leap. To walk onto the ledge and start. Apparently, many of us have forgotten how to do it. 
a lunch meeting. If you start things, some bosses may tell you to cool it. They may instruct you to sit in your cubicle and wait for instructions. It's possible that you have a boss like this right now. Seth had a boss like this in his brief career at Yahoo after he sold his company to them for $30 million and became their vice president of direct marketing. If your boss is like that, Seth recommends two things. Firstly, you have to ignore this book for now, just for now. And secondly, you need to start looking for a new gig as soon as possible. There's a third way, Seth says. But it shouldn't be taken seriously unless you're impatient, bold, and determined to make a difference. That third option is to ignore your boss and keep starting things anyway. It works out in the end. Not what I expected to find. If you hear someone that says, this is not what I expected to find, you're onto something. You've found someone who's doing the right thing. Part of initiating is being willing to discover that what you end up with is different from what you set out to accomplish. If you're not willing to discover a surprise, it's no wonder you're afraid to start. Starting isn't about controlling. It simply means initiating. Managing is about controlling, but that skill is completely different from starting. What could you build? So many doors are open. So much leverage is available. If you could build anything, and you can, what would you build? You could build a religion, a reputation, a relationship, a job, a practice, an institution, cash, tools, art, a legacy, an idea that spreads, change that matters. The only reason... You're not initiating a quest for any of these goals is that you're afraid to start. Perhaps you ought to think carefully about what's at stake. Have you fully understood the cost of not starting? Start and then ship. You can't do the second if you don't do the first. You can't ship without starting. People carry ideas around and and use them as insulation against criticism and protection from blame. You can't be held responsible if you've never accomplished anything because at least you've got this big book full of ideas and you've been busy thinking up your next idea. If only so-and-so had listened to me or they stole my idea or I came up with that first. Failure has nothing to do with anyone else and everything to do with our fear of starting. I hope you enjoyed part five of Poke the Box by Seth Godin. Man, I'm, every time I read these sections, I'm, I'm getting G'd up to start. Next episode will be part six, the sixth and final part of Poke the Box by Seth Godin. If you're enjoying these, I'd love you to grab the book for yourself. Head to aboutseth.com slash books. Or if you're still not sure, head to grab a free resource that Seth's team put together called the Poke the Box Workbook. Uh, and that's at aboutseth.com slash free. I'll see you for the sixth and final part. Thank you for listening to the About Seth podcast. I hope you learned something along the way. I strongly urge you to check out more Seth Godin. You could either buy one of his books, check out one of his TED Talks, or subscribe to his daily blog. Or go to aboutseth.com.